Good evening, Salt Company. <laughs> hey, six years ago, there was a dude named Stan who drove a truck because he was, you know, you just got to meet him. He really was just kind of a country hit kind of guy. Started driving up to Cedar Falls once a week, and Salt Company started with six college students who were excited about what God was doing. And to be at your kickoff, way in the back, right? Because I'm clearly like the dad of college students now, and I didn't want to, I hadn't lost my parent kid tour. You know, I was just sitting way in the back. Um, man, I'm delighting in what God is doing in this place. I'm actually the father of two college students and one high school senior. One of my children you know, his name's Josiah, and uh, he's kind of a dancing maniac, and he, he makes his way on the stage sometimes. But quick story about him. As a, a four-year-old, the kids loved it when I got home from work because I could push them the highest on the swing next to our house because I'm stronger than my wife, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And, uh, and so they would wait for me to get home. And as a four-year-old, he, he was like buckled into one of these like Fisher-Price chairs, like so plastic seat, and you like click the thing down, make sure their like skin on their legs isn't in the, th you know, you know, but you just click it down and then you push them. It's a big tree, pine tree, ropes a whole bit, and I'm just pushing them, and I would just, just go nuts, you know, just push it super hard. And I felt great about it, you know. I hung the thing up myself, and I'm pushing them, and, and I'm just getting it way up there. I mean, I'm almost about to do the loop, you know, around the, you know, and I'm just getting up there. And, and Jenny, Jenny goes, Paul, I think, the, you know, I push it through, and she goes, I think those ropes are going to snap, and here he comes back. And I'm, I'm thinking, in that moment, you know, your mind's just, you know, and you're going, you know, and, and maybe the tree will fall on us. Maybe anything could happen, Jenny. Maybe you're crazy. You know, so like the thing comes back, and then my next swing, and um, simultaneously at the bottom of the arc, both ropes snap, and my little four-year-old goes driving just hard into the ground. And, and it was awful and almost funny because he couldn't... <laughs> He was buckled in the seat, so it was like, you know, like a rolling chair down the, down the lawn there. And uh, he hit hard, though. And I'm like, shoot, you know. And uh, I, I got him out of that little contraption, and he was a mess, just crying, you know. And I sent him off to the side, and he's just messed up, just dirty and all that stuff. And he just won't stop crying. And I just, I'm like, be patient, be patient. And then I hit that point where I'm like, it's time to toughen up. Like, come on, spit, rub some dirt on it, and let's go. You know, like, come on. And, and, and he's on the ground, and I'm like, we, now it's time, okay? You got to, and, and he's still all upset about this. And I'm like, and so I lift him up. I mean, I mean I, I'm kind enough, right, to just lift him up, get him back on his feet, walk it off, you know? And he immediately crumbles to the ground. And <laughs> it, what I didn't know is he had snapped his femur. right above the knee. It wasn't like a wobbly leg, and I'm like, walk it off, you know? It was like, I didn't know that. And so, it's amazing. My kids haven't all been taken away. Um, it was awful. He's recovered. I don't know that he's fully recovered, but uh, that's my son. I'm a pretty good parent. And, uh, and, but 
I'm a father of three kids. I love being here at Salt Company. This is exciting. I actually was a student like eons ago, a part of the first Salt Company ever back in Ames, Iowa. I remember when it hit 200 people. It was amazing to see the tremendous work God was doing. I was a mechanical engineering student back in the day. I ended up going on staff part-time and then was like a full-time freshman director for a bunch of years, was a SALT director, and there's been like a half a dozen of them between myself and Saul, who's now the SALT director. And at that time, I mean, SALT company was like five or 600 students, but it was amazing to see what God had done there. And all those years later, our network began to have a vision that, man, this is so good. Let's see what God would do if we spread out a little bit. And what was going on at Cornerstone Church in Ames with SALT Company spread out and started with the two other universities in Iowa, right? University of Iowa, Mark Arendt going there, a dear friend of mine, and, and us coming up here a couple years later after that to plant Candale Church here in the University of Northern Iowa. And God has now continued to do that and plant now something that is spreading across the country, still predominantly in the Midwest. And I'll talk to you at the end of the night about how by faith, we're heading to Florida and what God has in store for us there. But it's exciting what God is doing in this place. And I just wanted to let you know a little bit about who I am. Listen, tonight I was invited to come here and talk about maybe the closing message in this foundation series, which is mission. And I want you to know this, mission always flows from identity. If you are taking notes, if you want to remember something, mission always flows from identity. Who you are always informs what you do. What you believe about yourself always informs how you live. Mission flows straight from identity. A quick story from Jake Herring, one of our worship leaders here at Candeo Church on Sundays. Jake started playing soccer when he was five years old. In fact, here's a picture of him at five. Um, that's Jake Herring there in, in the middle. So he didn't have tattoos and now he does. Um, what five-year-old has tattoos? Anyways, Jake... <laughs> Five in that picture. Listen, for the first three years he played soccer, he was mediocre at best. In fact, his parents came, but there was just one problem. Neither of them thought he was any good. <laughs> like, seriously, what do you do when you're a parent and you know your kid's not good? And they get done with the game, they're like, huh? And you're like, y you are awesome. Great job. You know, like, at what point do you let them know, this ain't your sport, you know? But, but they just attended and thought, he's not good. But something happened to him in the third grade that you got to hear about. Jake writes, man, I didn't look like a soccer player. I didn't feel like a soccer player, but all that changed in a single moment. Our gym coach in elementary school, Coach Wheeler, was a mean old man who was nearly impossible to please. But on the day our third grade class ran the mile in the president's physical fitness test, my friend Drew and I were way ahead of the rest of our class. And as we ran past Coach Wheeler, he said five words that changed everything. As we ran by him, he said, there go my soccer players. He spoke identity into me that day. I would be an identity that would change the way I saw myself and my abilities to where eight years later, get this, eight years later, he would be a starter on the varsity team as a freshman. In fact, I got a picture of Jake as, a, as a, now a freshman. And uh, <laughs> ladies, easy. <laughs> easy. He's a married man now. So just, but that's, that's Jake. And, and listen, Jake wrote this, believing who I was changed how I played all because of five words of identity. Who you are determines what you do. 
Your mission flows from identity. Look, some of you have been given an identity and you have been living out of it for years. You know what I'm talking about. You were called an athlete, so you train hard. You were told you are smart, so you study hard. You were told you are fat, and so you're insecure. And some of you force yourselves to throw up after you eat. Some were told you are the best, and you have found it easy to look down on everyone else in life. Perhaps you were told, not with words, but with the lack of attention, that you are not lovely or you are not special, ladies, from a dad who was, if not physically absent, at least emotionally absent. And you have been looking to be validated by men, and at many times immorally so, for a lifetime. What we believe about ourselves determines how we live. Mission flows from identity. The key question for us tonight as we're going to look at the Bible is this. Who does Jesus say I am? And what kind of life flows from that? Who does Jesus say I am? The world will tell you a lot of things. I'm interested in this. Who does Jesus Christ say that I am? Because my life will flow out of that. Before I look at how our mission flows from identity, I want to look to Jesus to show you that even his mission flowed from his identity. And listen, what applied back then applies right now. So even to students at UNI who are trying to fill their spiritual hunger with relationships, who are trying to satisfy their spiritual thirst with alcohol, Jesus still says to you, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. To those who are groping around under the cloak of darkness, fighting against your conscience when you know what's right and you're ashamed of what's wrong, and yet you live in the darkness, Jesus still says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. I am the light of the world. Look, for those who have not yet found the way to heaven, you don't know how to get there, you don't know what path you need to travel through in order to know you're forgiven, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. For those who've never had a father or mother or pastor who cared for you spiritually to show you the ways of God, you never had that, I never had that, Jesus says to us, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. To people who are confused, whose minds are inundated with lies, whose feeds just fill up with lies that we're tempted to believe, Jesus cuts through all that and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. To those who perhaps recognize that I will not live forever, I will face death, the cancer that has my parents will have me someday. For those who fear stepping out of this life and into death and facing a holy God, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And everyone who lives and believes in me will live even if he dies. And to those who long to live for any kind of significance, doing a major, doing whatever you're putting your hand to, and you long to change the world, Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Look, Jesus has an identity, and all of his purpose flowed from it. 
He's the bread. He's the light. He's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the resurrection life. He is the vine. And from it flows an offer to have hunger fulfilled, thirst satisfied, fears quenched, lies made true, and the fear of death abolished. His identity drives his mission. It's true of Jesus, and tonight we see that it's true of us. The passage I get to turn your attention to tonight is Matthew 5, 13 through 16. If you've got a Bible, that's where we're at. We're in the book of Matthew. It's kind of towards the back end of the Bible. If you're kind of new at this, I certainly was. I was just barely a Christian when I stepped into a room like this. Matthew 5, look, Jesus' mission we see flows from his identity, but now he turns to us to answer our question, who do you say, Jesus, that I am? I hear what you say you are. Who do you say that I am? Matthew 5.13 is one of these passages. In fact, it's where the salt company gets its name. Matthew 5.13 says this. Let's read it. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and it gives light to, for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We've already heard who Jesus is. Now he turns to a crowd of followers. I believe some genuinely wanted relationship with him. Some were probably just hanging out. I don't imagine it was so dissimilar from this room other than there were 5,000 there that day. This Sermon on the Mount, there's tons of people there. And in the middle of the longest sermon he gives, actually it was more towards the front then, he says this, to his followers, your salt and your light. What did he mean when he gave us that identity? First off, what's the deal with salt? In Jesus' day, salt had a lot of uses. I'm just going to cover the top two, okay? One, the way we use it now. Flavor food. Flavor food with salt, right? Sweet corn, sweet, but without salt? Are you kidding me? <laughs> just skip it, you know? I cannot believe, have you ever tasted unsalted bacon? Why? You know, like <laughs> unsalted butter? Is this a joke? Like, if you tried to eat an egg without salt, that's like eating tofu, which we all know is disgusting. Like, salt is necessary for things to taste good. I mean, to, to just chew on a piece of unsalted bacon, you might as well be chewing on roadkill. Look, salt, <laughs> salt's amazing. And I cannot, for the life of me, figure this one out. You tell me if I'm wrong. Where are they hiding the salt shakers at Rialto or Piazza. Like, where are they? I, I would sit there with my son and we would just hang out and do breakfasts like a lot last year. I'm like, where's the salt? Is this a bad joke? You pay so much money for your education, for those dorms, for that food, and they are ripping you off by stealing all the salt shakers. <laughs> no, I didn't steal this one. D Laura gave me this one tonight. They are ripping you off. You need to protest. Go to the university tonight and say, we want salt. You know, uh, they're like, you are salt company. And 
But, you know, uh, anyways. Okay, sorry, total. Man, some things just aren't in the notes. That's what's so, so fun about teaching a salt company. Okay, the second, the second biggest way that they used salt back then was a preservative. We don't do this because we got refrigerators. But back then, that's what they did. In fact, like you kill a cow and you want to eat it for more than one day, you take some salt and you work it into the meat. It was a preservative back then. If you don't rub this salt into it and slow down the rotting and decaying process, you are gonna be eating rotten meat in no time. What is clear is this, salt was meant to influence the taste of food and salt was meant to influence decaying meat. Can you hear what Jesus is saying to those who follow him when he calls them salt? You are the salt of the earth, and you were meant to influence people for the gospel. Salt tastes very different than an egg. Influence the taste of it. Salt is absolutely necessary for dead, decaying meat. Influence it with salt. We are the salt of the earth. The salt company is our name. It comes from this passage Here's what doesn't make sense to me. You know, if you eat a hard-boiled egg, which apparently some think that's disgusting from someone who's like, oh. um, a, a little salt, that's great. You know, a little salt, just, just fine. Here's what doesn't make sense to me. Why, why would someone get their bite ready <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He, he, I'm going to trip. Um, that is, holy cow, that is slick. I thought it was funny that Luke told everyone to strip down. Now I'm about to trip on a pile of salt. Um, it doesn't make sense to me that salt would be piled in one place. It doesn't taste good. It wouldn't be awesome at all. The rest of your meat would rot, the rest of your food would be awful, and life would suck as soon as you bite into your first bite. And here's what also doesn't make sense to me, that you would spend all your time around other Christians. Did you miss what Jesus was saying? You're the salt of the earth. You were meant to influence people for the sake of the gospel. How in the world does it work if you're all in one place? Well, we, we do our movies together. We do our small group together. We go balling together. We do our shopping together. When we go to eat out, we're all together. And your life is not around non-Christians. How in the world is salt meant to influence something if it all stays clumped together? Our identity is salt. We were meant to influence a dying, decaying, bland, use whatever metaphor or whatever definition is being used there. You were meant to influence, so was I, and we do nothing. Stay all clumped together. Spread out and influence the world. This is what Jesus was saying. 
If the salt should lose its taste, he goes on to say, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. Okay, well, look, how can salt lose its saltiness? How can salt lose its taste? Some chemistry majors are like, salt is sodium chloride. It's a stable compound. I swear it cannot be dissolved. Like, you're right. Okay, I get it. I get it. There's some irony in what Jesus is saying here. Yeah, salt can't lose its saltiness. So what gives? Influence the world. It makes no sense that you would lose your saltiness. Some of you are setting the pace. I got a story about a gal named Jensen this week. And uh, yeah, this is really so encouraging. Listen to this. Jensen's reached out just to different people. I mean, Jesus, and this is it. Some of you, you don't need to feel any conviction about this message because you just don't know Jesus yet. You wouldn't know. You are the dead meat. (laughs) You, you, You are that. You need to be influenced by the gospel. You need Jesus to make you spiritually alive first. So don't feel like you gotta do something. You need to become new in Christ. But listen, Jensen, who has found Jesus, she says this about one gal. I met her on campus. She was walking with a group of girls who I, I and I came up to them. They're, they were all um, international students. They were hesitant at first because some of them have been here for three years and haven't had any American friends. I invited her and her friends to hang out with me. I found out some things they enjoyed doing and offered to give them rides there. I invited her to kickoff. She was very eager to come. She's always looking for things to do in the area. She came and really loved it. She goes, our first time hanging out, she asked me what I enjoyed doing and asked what ministry was. She was very interested when I ended up sharing the gospel with her. She said it warmed her heart, and this was the first time anyone had ever told her this before. And she's eager to learn more about God and has been coming to salt and making friends. Get this, Jensen just continues to be salt wherever she goes. I mean, just just talking about Jesus, loving people very naturally, getting around people who need the Lord. About another gal, she goes, someone invited this gal to the pancake party, that's hilarious, and I met her there. We had great conversations. She also said that she had no American friends at UNI. Seems to be a theme. She loves talking and practicing her English. Last week, we got breakfast and coffee and went to Art Palooza, that was downtown Cedar Falls, and had a really fun time getting to know her more and learning about her culture. Look, when we were on our way home, I was playing music, and she asked me what song was playing. I told her it was a worship song, and she asked what a worship song was. I got to tell her about Jesus, the gospel and salvation, all for the first time in her life as well. She's very interested in meeting again and reading the Bible together. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Jensen's being salt. What an example. So many of you are being a tremendous example to me and to our community. Come back here on Sunday, Candeo Church. We need to be influenced by the example so many of you are setting. And all of us, get this, all of us are evangelists, every last one of us. All of us are inviting people into the great news that we've experienced. But for some, it's just an app we found. For some, it's just a story we can share. For some, look, all of us are trying to tell everyone about what we love most. We're posting it on our story. We're tweeting it. We're snapping it. We're doing whatever we can to let everyone know this is what's most important to me. Many just haven't found that Jesus is the most important thing. Everyone's an evangelist. Not everyone has found their greatest joy in Jesus. But it makes sense that when he touches our hearts, it makes sense that when he transforms our lives, it makes sense when he gives us a new identity that we begin to live it out and we find joy. You're the salt of the earth. Influence a lost world.
Be like Jensen. Oh, I'm challenged by that. But there's more here. I said mission flows from identity. Jesus says you're salt, and then he also says you are light. Look back at our passage here. Jesus also said you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Your salt, salt was meant to influence your light, and light was meant to totally influence darkness. You are, if you follow Jesus, not you might be, not hopefully someday when you're a real strong Christian. No, no, get me. You are the light of the world. Jesus says, you are. You are right now the light of the world. And some go, wait a minute, I heard you quote John 8, 12 a while ago where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Which is it? Is Jesus the light of the world or am I the light of the world? And to that question, I would go, yes. <laughs> Both. Look, Jesus is the light of the world, and we're called to be the lights of the world. We're like little sparklers. Jesus is the blowtorch. Okay, bigger light, you know. You know, you're like little light on your cell phone. Yay. Jesus is the flaming sun. Okay, both bring light. Jesus is the light, and he says, when he's touched our lives, you're now the light of the world. And look at what he, he, just, he just keeps illustrating for us. And I love this, how, how illustrative Jesus is. He goes, look, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. First, he just talks about a city on a hill. It's possible where he's giving this sermon that there was a city on a hill behind him. Cities at that time were often built with limestone, often built up on limestone. Limestone is bright, okay? Especially if you clean it with a power washer like my wife did the other day. It's bright. You can see it from a distance. A city up on a hill, it's like, whoa, in the daytime, man, you needed sunglasses, maybe even back then. Like, that's bright. And at nighttime, they could put lanterns or like candle, you know, types of torches or whatever down at the base that would just light it up like a city on a hill. You can't miss it. A city on a hill, it's bright, it's big, it's bold. You're not missing it. Jesus is saying this. You're like a city on the hill. That's what we are supposed to be like, a city on a hill. And then he says, look, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl. Okay, back in the day, get, get your minds around this. A lamp, it, it, it looked like a lantern, so to speak, just long. It had oil in it, a wick. You know, they just light this thing up. You can imagine, right? It's like a little house on the prairie back in the day. Like you're just walking around. Your light, your lantern is like that, okay? It makes no sense. Someone go, oh, nice lantern. Get a bowl. Boom. Like, idiot. You know, like no one lights their lantern, puts a bowl on it. That's as nonsensical as like you having a, a, a lamp in your hotel, you know, having a lamp in your dorm room, having a lamp in your, in your, in your apartment, wherever you have a lamp, you know, and it's like, you know what, let's put it in the closet, shut the door, walk away. <laughs> idiot. Like no one does that. That's, you, you want to, get some things checked out if you think that's where lamps go. Look, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a closet under a bowl or tries to hide it because a light was meant to dispel darkness. It was meant to influence darkness. Jesus says to you, you are the light of the world. And look at this, verse 16. In the same way, he will say, 
let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus says to Christians, let your light shine before men. Let people see what it looks like to have Jesus in you. And you go, wait, wait, wait a second, it sounds like bragging. Like, do I just put my life on display? Yes. Show them that there is such a thing as purity in relationships. Show them that there is such a thing, men, as valuing women, not just to be objects of lust, but to be dear sisters in Christ, that their value isn't based on their curves and their shapes, but on the beauty that God has created in them. Show them, women, what, what beauty in the gospel can look like. Show them what it looks like to honor parents. Show them what it looks like to honor teachers. Show them what it looks like to delight in Jesus, to have him speak to you, to speak back to him. Show them what they desperately need to see. And you just might find people looking to you and going, how do I get that? Your peace, I don't get it. Your love makes no sense. I'm drunk all the time. You're not. My life, though, looks like it's falling apart and yours doesn't. What gives? Show them what it looks like. And make no mistake, light makes no sense unless it's around darkness. Even my little cell phone light is pretty bright when I'm in a total dark room. But you know what? No one's walking around campus in the middle of the daytime with their cell phone lights on. If they are, tell them, you don't need it. Idiot. No, don't. <laughs> Guys, I fear this, that some equate being a Christian with avoiding sinners. Some of you think holiness means to avoid people who sin. Yes, avoid sin, but light makes no sense unless you're around darkness. Do you get that? Because it would seem as much as salt gets all clumped in one place, it seems like there's a convention of light. And the darkness knows nothing of the gospel. We are to be light and shine in darkness. Some of us avoid darkness. We avoid getting around people who are scary. They don't talk like us. Oh, man, they swear a lot. They, they're immoral. They're godless. So was I. And you know what? All my profanity... I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I just thought it was funny. I just thought it was funny. And all my pursuit of immorality, I just wanted to be loved. I just wanted to be cared for. And you know why I like to get drunk? I didn't like the taste of cheap beer. I like to get drunk because when finally I got past the buzz and it was really setting in, I found myself able to talk to other dudes like me in high school it's like the walls were down, and we could finally talk about stuff. We were finally vulnerable in conversation. We could finally actually have a level of friendship that I couldn't have with all the pretending that went on in high school. I didn't like being hungover. I didn't like the shame I felt sneaking around, an underage drink. All. I wanted something else. So stop avoiding people like I was so that I could be like I am. I needed to see you. I needed you to shine into my darkness. And finally, some began to. And I was like a moth drawn to the flame. I had a longing in my heart for what you have. 
It's like my friend Jason tonight. Jason, right before I got here, and I was trying not to be late getting here, right before I got here, Jason, my friend, he's a bartender sometimes. I've gotten to know him. He works part-time at Harry's. Sit down, drink a beer with him, open the Bible. I know his story. He knows my story. I was there when he had his first child, when he was scared to death about being a dad. I was just at his house tonight. He opened a Russian Imperial Stout that I don't know how much money it cost him, but one of his favorite drinks, and I had a glass with him, and it was just an honor for him to share that with me. As I talked to him about Jesus, who he says, I'm beginning to believe in Jesus, but I don't, dis- I don't agree with what the Bible says here. So let's talk about that, Jason. Let's talk about that. His wife is a believer. I bet she was praying in the other room with their little baby, Evie, as he and I shared a beer. Should I stay away from Jason? He just needs Jesus, and I think he's close. Because people are living in darkness, and you're meant to be light. Shine the light of the gospel. Get out of your holy huddles. Don't be so afraid. Get around them. They desperately need the Lord. Some of you are setting a pace there, and some aren't. You'll call it holiness, and I call it misplaced identity at best, and cowardice at worst. People need Jesus. I'm inspired wherever you are, Justin, who set a pace and a challenge to my own soul. Justin, listen to this, has a friend who, and I got this from one of our staffers, who'd been just struggling with typical college sins, drinking, partying, yeah, raised my hand. He said he would always come to the connection group in Salt, and these last few months he'd been feeling so empty, not knowing what was causing it. He knew he needed something fixed in his life. Get this. Justin's friend wasn't finding joy in partying and drinking anymore, but instead it made him feel emptier. I know what you're talking about. He got to a point where he decided to pray and didn't know exactly what he was praying, but he did pray. And later he texted me asking me to meet up and share his sins and his struggles that he'd been going through. And, and Justin says, I could relate to it all. He just kept saying that he wanted to give his life to Christ, but Satan was telling him that he was too broken. Like you sin too much that Jesus doesn't want you. What a lie. And get, get this. He says, I reminded him that we're never too broken for Christ. No matter how our stage in life or the sins we're struggling with, when we're a child of God, he never looks at us with disappointment. But he covers us with his grace and love. We continued to talk, and he told me he wanted to give his life to Christ. And so we prayed together, and he surrendered his life to Jesus. And I wrote in my notes, praise God. I'm telling you, Justin was like, I'm light. I'm going to be around someone I love who doesn't know Jesus yet. And that guy is a child of God now. He is salt. He is light. He is born again. Christians, we are called to be salt and light. Identity flows out. Identity inspires mission, right? In identity, if we believe what is true about us because Jesus says it, a life flows out of it. And I needed this passage. I needed this challenge. I needed this because I'm so insulated with other Christians in my life. God is pushing us further out. He's calling us to be salt and light. And a little over a year ago, just I began to have just rumblings in my soul of just like, man, God, would you do it again? 
would you do it again? I was at Salt Company Names when it was just Salt Company Names. Now there are a dozen of them all over. And I just wondered, would God do it again? And guys, it's a long story of how God is working and assembling a team. But in the fall of 2019, our heart's desire and our prayer and our eager expectation is that Candeo, along with others in our network churches and perhaps even some of you, will leave the Midwest and head to Florida, third largest state in our country, the fourth fastest growing one, over a million university students, and will head to the University of Florida in Gainesville, North Central Florida. And from that place, a city that has 70,000 university students and perhaps the most influential university in Florida, we're gonna launch a salt company. And there's a student there right now who graduated Cedar Falls High School, who's down there running track, and his name's Sam Ehrenholz. He didn't really know what he's doing. He wasn't a salt leader. He's never led a connection group, and he has nine other people meeting with him. They had their first connection group just last night. He said it went awesome, and whether Sam knows or not, guess what? He just began the salt company at the University of Florida, and a bunch of us are gonna go on down and participate in what God's doing, and we believe by faith we're going not merely to plant a church, but to extend our network and to plant our network so that a lot of universities around that state can be reached. Guys, we're called to be the salt of the earth. We're called to be the light of the world. Stop believing some other identity about you. Hear what Jesus calls you and enjoy with anticipation. Let's live it out. I began with a story about Jake Herring. Years ago, Coach Wheeler saw a nine-year-old boy because he was a few years older named Jake running the mile. In five words, Coach Wheeler, that mean coach, gave Jake a new identity. He said, there go my soccer players. And Jake began to live in light of a new identity. And I'm telling you, you need to hear Jesus speak these words over your life if you follow him. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That is who you are. And as I influence the world, I empower you. Go, spread yourselves out among lostness, and you will find a greater joy than you are having now as God uses you to influence the world for the gospel. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you that you give us meaning. Oh, Lord, you've called us a child of God, an ambassador, dearly loved sons and daughters. We're kids of the king. We are all those things, but tonight we hear you say, you're salt and you are light. Jesus, I pray that this college ministry would not be defined by your fat, your pretty, your smart, your athletic, and live out someone else's identity. But Jesus, I pray they would see that through the gospel, they have worth. Through the gospel, they have security. Through the gospel, they've made whole and their fears have been dealt with. So now they can be salt and they can be light. And I pray, God, this ministry would spread out. I pray that this ministry would stop clumping together. God, they have to be like me at times. I love my Christian friends so much, I don't want anything to do with lost people. And I just was one of them. Jesus, give us a different perspective. Help us to love the lost. Help us to love those who live in darkness. Help us to love those who are like dead, decaying meat. God, help us to be an influence in the lives of those who desperately need you. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.